Thank you. Thanks. A couple of you. No, my name is Eric Trout and my wife Lisa and we're the pastors here at North Shore if you're new with us. And uh, before the, the preaching of the word this morning, this is, as you've heard nuances throughout the service from the beginning, this is a very special service for us. And Jeanette Starr, who has uh, just uh, been a significant prophetic voice uh, at Christ Church Kirkland before coming here and then uh, definitely in our lives uh, as um, just praying and interceding for our family over the years, but really believes that she has a word significant this morning. And so I've asked her to come and share that word with us. Jeanette, would you please come and do that? So we've kind of heard bits and pieces of it already in, in the Psalms 146 that we sang, God keeps his promises. Uh, I don't want to be robbed. God doesn't want us to be robbed. Um, and the word that I hear the Lord saying to us is, God cares about inheritance. He cares about our inheritance. And Lisa has said this to me many times. It matters that we're here. It matters that we're here on this ground. Um, in Numbers uh, 27.7, I actually gave this word 20 years ago at Christ Church Kirkland. And then uh, the Lord brought it to memory on Mother's Day of this year while we were here. And we felt we wanted to wait for Pastor Jim to be here to hear it because it's significant for him. Um, but Numbers 27.7 says uh, there was a man who had five daughters and uh, he died while they were wandering in the wilderness. And the five daughters came to Moses and the priest and before all the assembly and they said, our father was not among those who rebelled with Korah. We want his inheritance. We want his property. Give us his property. And Moses took it before the Lord and he said, you're right. You should get his property. And that's very specific for us. We want this property. We want this inheritance of our fathers. And time passed, actually. And, and Moses passed away, and Joshua was up. Joshua was the leader, and the five daughters again went to Joshua and said, Do you remember the promise you gave us? Do you remember the promise? And Joshua said, I remember the promise. You can have the land. You can have the property. And really hear the Lord saying, Be persistent. Remember the promise. Remember the promises given to Pastor Jim. Remember the promises given to Pastor Dennis. Redig those wells. Because earlier on, before they went to Joshua, they also went to Caleb. They were persistent women and said, you gave us the land, but we also want the streams. We want the water that runs through the land. We want ownership of those wells. And I hear the Lord saying, redig the wells here. I've promised you the land. I've given you an inheritance. Inheritance is important to the Lord. And we want to redig the wells, Pastor Jim, that you have here. We want the property. We want the property of Pastor Dennis that was promised to Pastor Dennis here. We want the property, the inheritance that was promised to you here. And we're here to redig those wells with you.
Well, it was in the 1960s that this work was established here on these grounds. And I don't remember exactly when it was that they began clearing the trees. Uh, but raise your hand if you were here back then. Look around. Just leave your hands up. If you were around on this property, part of this early work. And I'm um, looking over here and I'm seeing uh, Dan Hammond, who I still call my youth pastor. The, uh, the old youth house was right over here, probably the, toward the back of the sanctuary. Uh, grew up the old stomping grounds where I uh, began to hear, you know, really a passion and a love for people. A love of God and a love for people and to uh, reach and touch and love the unloved. And uh, this is where I grew up over here in this sanctuary and uh, literally pretty much born on the pew over there. And uh, got a chance to, an opportunity to sit under the preaching of the word by a very dear man that I affectionately call Grandpa. And uh, spent many, many years uh, listening to the word of God and hearing the passion uh, come forth from his spirit. And of course, we would be remiss to not mention the incredible woman at his side that has walked faithfully with him, that has been such a powerful example of uh, a godly, godly woman uh, just in her own right. Uh, Ministry uh, maybe a little bit quieter, but just as powerful as the man that she serves alongside for all these years. They've faced a, a number of different health things along the way, health issues along the way, and part of the reason why it's taken so long to be able to get you guys here, uh, to be able to preach the Word and just be with us. And uh, But my father served alongside uh, Pastor Hammond uh, as elder at Christ Church Northgate for, for many, many years. And I can still remember going into my dad's office and uh, just... There was always this thing that, that Pastor Ham would say. He, I, you know, in high school, I was probably six six, uh, right in there, six, you know, pushing six seven. And he, he, for years, when I was before, I think before I even broke six foot, he prophesied over me all the time. And he said, he goes, "I'm prophesying over you, six eight, six eight. I grew a half inch my senior year in college to uh, to get six eight. So. This man has been speaking into my life naturally, uh, physically, and spiritually for, for all these years. And have the privilege of meeting with him uh, from time to time. And just he just pours his heart out, pours his heart out. And if anyone has ever experienced, in which I believe you're here because you've experienced the life of the Lord in and through him in some way, uh, you have had the hugs You've uh, received the life of Jesus, and it is wonderful. Uh, yesterday, Lisa grabbed uh, something. Uh, we've got a lot of different boxes, you know, from, uh, from my dad's library. And uh, she found this uh, there. You can tell by the paper it's not from this decade, the color. <laughs> and, uh, but you can see a much younger Jim Hammond on the front here. And this is a, a leadership manual. Uh, that he would send out from time to time of June 1979. 
So we came to Seattle, moved to Seattle here in, in December of 1979. And so he, he writes in here, and it's June, and so the focus of what he was sharing here in his note to leaders was about Pentecost. And of course, we've just been uh, celebrating Pentecost and been in that season of celebrating, which is wonderful. And uh, last week, had a wonderful privilege while we were away on vacation to have Dean Hale share, and I heard you absolutely knocked it out of the park. And uh, literally the ripple effect of that, the, the chain reaction has just been wonderful. People just saying, I, I just want to listen to it over and over again. And I want to really encourage you, if you haven't heard it, you weren't here, that you make sure you get that off the website. But there's a report back here on the front lines. It says, Dean Hale reports quick and meaningful answers to prayers specifically prayed about while together at home group. Healings, job, guidance, emotional needs, and more. And exciting word from the Hale Home Fellowship. (laughs) But anyway, Grandpa, we want to give you all the time you need to bring the word. You've got a significant... Uh, very significant word that's been on your heart for some time as you've been preparing to be here. We love you. We honor you. And uh, we're going to stand together right now. We're just going to welcome you as you come to preach the word of God. Thank you. Well, first of all, let me just look around. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're so good. Praise God. Remember, it's all about him. All about him. This Christian life is a a wonderful adventure and a wonderful journey. Um, My son-in-law is preaching at Christ Church of Kirkland this morning, Ran Unger. And uh, it's a joy to have my son and daughter-in-law here this morning. And we, we have some other relatives here I can see uh, back there. And uh, have grandsons here. This is great. I'm glad to say that all of my grandchildren, nine of them, they all are saved and they all have a prayer language in tongues. And we're grateful, and grateful for God's goodness to us. I want to introduce my wife here. We've just celebrated our 63rd wedding anniversary. Come up here, sir. Amen. 
this is my Phyllis Marie. And uh, Phyllis, why don't you just share a word? I think you could lean into my microphone and, and uh, it'll work. Oh, I got another one. Oh, they, they've got something oh. there for you. Good. I remember to go that way when, when I stopped talking. <laughs> Me and the microphone might be down there with you. As I was, um, Jim was telling me that he was going to be speaking here this morning, my mind went back to this many years ago when this was just a, a piece of timbered land. And I don't know how many of you were here then, but I remember I had Paul, who's gone to be with the Lord, and we had Lori. And I was expecting Daniel. And we'd come up to this building that was being built, the first of the, the middle building, I guess you call it now. And never dreaming. We had a dream, but we didn't know what that would be fulfilled, how that'd be fulfilled. And just to see what God has done yes. has been wonderful. You don't waste your time when you're working for the Lord. I think a lot of people get disappointed and discouraged. and But I never lived with a discouraged man. And so, even if I wasn't encouraged, he was encouraging me. So, I can tell you that together with the people, we saw something and God did it. And even this building is a result of vision that we didn't even know was going to be last this long. And so I, I just want to thank you, even you who are here today, that how many was here in the very beginning? Was there anybody here that, yes, there are a few, there are a few of us left <laughs> But anyway, I'm just so happy for what you have here now with your pastor and his wife. God has blessed you. And we um, remember him as a young man. <laughs> and now he has a wife and wonderful children. And not only that, he has God's interest in heart for you. And to see this grow is more than we can desire. And we just thank you for being here and being faithful. I'm going to have to turn around or I'm going to. Okay. Thank you. Put that back up. I guess. We are grateful for the fact that the Lord has sent to you Eric and Lisa Trout and that uh, this man called of God is uh, going to have a tremendous future here with you. Eric, we're 
grateful for what God is doing in your life and your response to him. Eric, a couple of weeks ago, gave me uh, a new Bible, the New Living Translation. And then he wrote it at Grandpa. That's what he calls me and has been calling me that for a couple of years now. It has been my distinct honor to know you as grandfather. Your love, encouragement, courage, and exhortation has been such life to me. When Dad passed away, you were there for me. Thank you. Much love, Eric, Romans 8, Psalm 23. Eric, that Bible must have cost you a hundred bucks, if a penny. I mean, uh, really appreciate the gift and your love. And We get together twice a month. I discipled his dad for many, many years. And now I have the privilege of discipling his, his son. And it's a real honor to walk with you, Eric and Lisa. God bless you both. And I know the future is going to be bright and rich here at Christ Church North Shore. Um, I only regret one thing, and that is that Linda Trout is not here this morning. Um, unique story. I heard from Paul Graves this morning. He called me from Paris, where he's vacationing with Annie. And he said, yesterday, we were at Notre Dame, and who in the world do I see but Linda Trout? <laughs> so he said, I walked behind her and whispered in her ear. <laughs> and uh, I guess they, he said Linda burst into tears. And uh, it was uh, a wonderful occasion. But... Uh, he sent his love, and he prayed for me on the phone this morning. Uh, thank God for Paul and Annie Graves. Grandpa, there's another part of that story. There's another part to, to that story, okay? This, this is pretty fun. But uh, the night before my mom got to Notre Dame there, uh, she had a dream that night that she was going to meet someone in red. I don't know just how to start in. I guess I'm just going to jump in. In uh, 1960, we uh, were pastoring in Racine, Wisconsin. And a buddy of mine was pastoring here at... Uh, Faith Temple, which is now Christ Church. But he, he called me and said, I, I'm leaving. I said, Morris, you just got there. He had been here three months, and he was leaving the church here. 
And he said, Jim, I just thought maybe you'd like to pastor this work and come out here. I said, I'm not the least interested. Things are going great in Racine. Uh, he said, well, I just thought I'd ask. And hung up, and Phyllis, you, several of you have heard me tell this story. Phyllis said to me, who was that? I said, it was Morris Hayes inviting us to consider coming to Seattle. And uh, she said, what'd you say? I said, I wasn't the least interested. She said, you never asked me. <laughs> and we never had a chance to pray about it. So um, we spent a couple of days considering it, praying about it. And finally, I decided I was going to call Morris back. I called him back and said, hey, uh, if you fly me out, I'll take a look at the work and We'll see what happens. And so he did that. And to make a long story short, we uh, came to be the pastor of this work in August of 1960. My first message was on the first Sunday of August, 1960. <laughs> this is the first Sunday of August, by the way. And I have, I have the notes of that message. I spoke on build, advance, and conquer. And the first point was the necessity to have faith, a spirit of faith to believe God for the future. So it's amazing how God leads our lives and directs us, isn't it? It is a joy, a great joy to be here with you this morning. Pray for me that God will strengthen me and help me share the word that he's put on my heart. Um, six weeks ago, they didn't think I was going to live. I spent 31 days consecutively at Evergreen Hospital. Several of you remember Barney Coombs and Dennis Peacock. Uh, they have been friends and comrades in the ministry all these years. But uh, Dennis and Barney both called me and talked to me and said, Jim, we never thought you were going to live. You were delirious and out of your mind when we were around your bed in the hospital. And uh, we're just so thankful. I want to thank you here for your prayer support. It's prayer that produced the miracle that I'm alive today. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. I want to speak this morning and share my heart. I believe God has given me a word. I want to talk about the necessity 
of redigging wells. The necessity of redigging wells. Would you turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 26? Of course, being here this morning has brought back a multitude of memories and so many wonderful experiences that we had here at Faith Temple. I'm a bit emotional you know, this morning, so I'm sure that God will give me grace and give you grace to bear with me. I want to use the, the whole matter of wells as an illustration and a metaphor for spiritual truth. Wells and water one of the most important considerations for life in, in ancient Israel. Isaac, like his nomadic father Abraham, moved his herds around the country looking for pasture and, and good living conditions. He was searching as well for the wells of his father Abraham. Abraham had previously dug numerous wells. In finding those wells, Isaac discovered that the wells had been rendered useless the Philistines had come and filled those wells with dirt and stone and debris. So Isaac chose to redig those wells. Those wells had proved a source of great blessing in the past. So we're looking at the scripture in Genesis 26, verse 15. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. And then in the 18th verse, then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham and he gave them the same names which his father had given them. So we're talking about redigging 
wells. I believe God is saying to us that he wants us to discover the wells that our forefathers had dug and to find again the rich blessings, the life from those wells. Father is calling us to be well diggers. It's all right to say amen. They're not going to scare me, folks. <laughs> the enemy is continually working to fill up the wells that our forefathers dug using the world, the flesh, and the devil. In coming to Seattle in 1960, I became the pastor of Faith Temple, which is now, of course, Christ Church. In August of that year, I started to discover and realize that there were wells that needed to be redug. The first well that I realized we needed to redig was the well of faith and expectation. We had a little church building, a little church building. It was a little church as well, people. But a little church building, a little white church building. I don't know whether it's still up or not, on 92nd and 15th Northeast. We rented that facility. And uh, we had about 50 adults on a good day. And uh, we didn't have that many members, but that was about the number of the adults we had. It was a small work, but God was there with us. And I saw that it was my responsibility to try to bring those people together in faith and in confidence that God had called us to be a church that would express his heart, his ways, his life. And so I, I sense my call immediately was to redig the well of expectation and faith that those dear people that had come from numerous church backgrounds. The previous pastor only stayed a few months. Um, they, they were discouraged. They were defeated. Uh, they, had, they had been to various churches. I imagine most of those people had four or five different churches they had attended in the greater Seattle area over years. But anyway... My, my calling, I sense, was to get those people to move in faith, to believe God. Let's expect God to do things. We, uh, we had a dear brother in the church. His name was Hallie Mackey. How many remember Hallie Mackey? Yeah. Hallie Mackey was a building contractor he was a very faithful brother, 
and had never hardly missed a service, was one of the biggest givers financially to the church. But uh, we, ha- we had a, a meeting of the deacons, and Hallie was a deacon, soon after I got there. We didn't have elder- elders in those days. You had deacons. So uh, we got together, and I began to talk with them about building a new facility on the property we had just purchased, the property out here. And I had agreed to come on the basis that we would build a new building. But in between my call to come and my coming, there were three main families that had moved away to other states. And so we were talking about building a new building, and the men said, we can't do that, Pastor. We, we don't have, we just lost three main families, and we can't build. And I said to them, and, and I don't believe I said it boastfully, but I said, men, I don't care if Hallie Mackey moves away. God has sent me here to build a church. And I'm a man called of God. And we're going to, this is going to be one of the largest works in Seattle. (laughs) They probably said, what what planet is that guy from? No, I actually said, this is going to be a large work. One of the largest works in Seattle. And we were, we were speaking about faith and expectation. And you know, something must have taken root. I, uh, I walked the streets of, of Seattle trying to find a bank or a mortgage company that would loan us $70,000. Huge amount in those days. Um... We had an architect that drew up plans and which was a unique situation. He drew up the plans for the present uh, sanctuary building that's still there, still here. Anyway, um, I think back of the goodness of God. Just amazing. And I began to speak about faith Sunday after Sunday. And I used, without faith we can't please God. That God is is the one that, that wants to share his heart and his faith with, and, and faith with us. Um, I began to think about such texts as all things are possible to those that believe. Uh, I began to, to share about uh, this is the victory that overcometh the world, even your faith. And those were the texts I began to use and preach week after week. And we were talking about faith and expectation. And we're, we're, we're grateful for how that expressed itself. Um, Turn with me to 1 Samuel 17, will you? 
1 Samuel 17. And in 1 Samuel 17, it's the story of David and Goliath. And we try to share with the, the brothers and sisters of Christ Church, uh, it was called Faith Temple in those days, we tried to share that their, their language, their words, their confession, um, the things they shared at home and with other believers and the things that they shared needed to be faith words. Positive words, uh, words that that were going to uh, indeed enrich lives, and so I I, I discovered First Samuel seventeen, the story of David and Goliath. Have you ever noticed David's words here? I mean, they are absolutely amazing. He begins to speak words of faith expectation about what he's going to do to Goliath. Listen to these words. Verse 42, And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David, by his gods. And the Philistines said to David, Come to me, and I will give you flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, Listen to these words. You come to me with a sword, a spear, a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day, listen to what David says, This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and <laughs> remove your head. Isn't that amazing? His language, his faith language, his words of, of confidence in God. Now, we are here at the beginning of a new work. What's your language? What's your faith language here? Are you talking about what God's going to do here in our midst? Are you going to be talking about the people that are going to be added to us? That this work is going to be larger than Kirkland? Faith words. Faith language. Words that are alive and words that will have telling effects. We need that. In the front yard of a home in Wheaton, Illinois, which is the hotbed for evangelical Christianity, Wheaton, Illinois, there was, there was a square piece of marble, still there today as far as I know, with a brass plaque that reads, On this spot, in 1897, nothing happened. I don't understand the person who put up such a marker except he or she was moved to such action by despair 
hopelessness, a negative mindset. Here we are over a hundred years later. What's the state of Christ's church? Are you saying we're here and something big is going to happen by a big God? And we're available to his purposes. We've been brought together for purpose to bring honor to his name. And it's so important that we see that and understand it. Fight, fight for the well of faith and expectation. Deal with the lies of the enemy and fight for that well. The second well we redug was the sheer importance of the cross. In the fall of 1960, an evangelist by the name of Warren Litzman from Texas was speaking at Evangel Temple in Ballard, Assemblies of God Church, like we were. So Phyllis and I heard about the meetings and this brother speaking about the cross night after night. So Phyllis and I attended night after night and were enriched and really moved with the message of the cross. And God began to speak to our hearts and Galatians 2.20 began to really mean something to us. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Yes. So, on the last night of Warren Litzman's meeting at Evangel Temple, a man came up to me and said, I've enjoyed seeing your response to God, Pastor. I have a book I want to give you. I didn't know the man. I'd never seen him before as far as I knew. He placed in my hands the book, The Ultimate Intention. Well, that was a Friday night. The next day was Saturday, of course, and I was in my office. And on Saturday, the secretaries weren't around. Nobody was around. So... um, I began to read this book, and as I began to read it, the tears began to flow down my cheeks. And it was all about the cross and living to please Father, what it was to please God, please Father. And uh, I'm just so thankful for how God has worked these things. But let me tell you what happened. A a brother in the church by the name of Kai Harris, who was principal of a Christian school out in Mount Lake Terrace, he came to me and said, you know, I've got a friend that's coming out here to the West Coast from Missouri, and he he has a few days available, Jim. I wonder if you'd like to have him come and speak. He's a real man of God. And I said, well, what is his name? His his name is Deverne Framke. 
the author of the book, The Ultimate Intention. I said, you don't mean it. He said, yes. I said, wonderful. Wonder- We'd be glad to have him. He could stay with Phyllis and I, which he did for about 10 days. He was the most godly man. He is the most godly man. He's going to be 90 in a few days. He's still living. He, he was the most godly man I've ever met. The most Christ-like man I've ever met. Anyway, this book, The Ultimate Intention, was the beginning of God really revolutionizing my life and ministry. And it was all about the cross. The cross. And we began to teach on embracing the cross. What is it to embrace the cross? Do you understand? What is it to embrace the cross this morning? The cross speaks of death. Can you embrace the things that God brings your way that speaks of death? Can you embrace those things? It's so important we can do those things. Can I say this morning... The message of the cross, the reality of the cross, has been neglected by the church. It is not being brought forth by the church. Oh, we talk about the cross and the shed blood of Christ, but I'm talking about not just the cross where Christ died. I'm talking about the cross where we die, where death comes into aspects of our life, and anger, and jealousy, and bitterness, and ill will, all that kind of stuff is dealt with. The whole matter of, of uh, not knowing how to control our temper and so forth. The Lord wants to bring into our lives a real expression of the way of the cross. Second Corinthians, beyond everything else, is a book of suffering. We see suffering written on almost every page some physical, some mental, some spiritual. He gives us the reason for these sufferings. He says, always bearing about in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Notice what it says, the dying of the Lord Jesus. That he might be manifested in our body, not when we get to heaven, but now on earth, manifested the dying of the Lord Jesus the life of the Lord Jesus. There must be suffering, there must be pain, there must be the cross, if there's going to be the life of Christ in us and manifested through us. Do you hear that? Do you understand that? Can that get through into our minds? The message of the cross, the truth of the cross. So death, Paul wrote, worketh in us, so life can work in you. Do you want death working in you? Who wants death working? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Let's embrace the cross, not run from it. Let's embrace it. The reason that Christians are so shallow and poverty-stricken today is they run from the cross. They're not interested in embracing the cross. I just want to say the message of the cross is so very, very important. Suffering and pain is God's way to produce the life of Christ in us. The next well I discovered 
was the well of relationships. The well of relationships. Yeah. The well of relationships. 